This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's Wednesday, and we're back with Chip Chat, back on the normal schedule, bringing journalist Chip Gibbons on. He's also the policy director at Defending Rights and Dissent, though he speaks on his own behalf, not on behalf of that organization, during Chip Chat. Uh, we missed you last week, and by we, I, I'm speaking on behalf of the audience. Uh, I didn't, you know, think much about Chip Chat last week. Enjoyed uh, enjoyed the week off. I just like to clarify that I had not gone anywhere last week. It was it was Sam That's Knight true. who is the party responsible for the reading of Chip Chat. That That's is right. That is true. So I never went anywhere. It is uh, it is it is Sam Knight who is back. I, I have to say, though, uh, going on a vacation is, uh, well, it's nice to, to take some time away and uh, to let the fields uh, fall fallow, as it were, for uh, a growing season, to let the shoots come up. And that being said, I think my vacation has given me some new perspective on oh. life. And I would just like to say that I cannot believe that in chip chat, uh, in the snack talk section, that I have not yet touted sun chips as an oh. acceptable snack. Mm. And remember sun chips? I do. I feel like they used to be everywhere roughly 15 years ago. They're still out there somewhere. And uh, I had some recently. Not bad. I'll tell you where you can get them, and I'm going to venture a guess that this is where you got them, and that's at Subway? <laughs> no, uh, it was actually at a grocery store. Okay, fair enough. At, at, at the beach. Fair enough. I know this uh, I know this kid's been known to house a Subway sandwich every now and then. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm not particularly proud of it. Um, right. But sometimes it, it, it just sort of satisfies a craving, sort of like how uh, we all know that McDonald's isn't real food, but every now and again, it's, uh, it's good to eat it. Anyway, <laughs> please don't cancel me. Chip, what is on the agenda for Chip Chat this week? Well, this week, uh, Mariel Bowser, who is not a Super Mario villain, but the mayor of D.C., sent a delightful letter to the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia complaining that Trump's U.S. attorney's office was not uh, prosecuting enough of her residents, which is always, always a delightful letter for your mayor to send. Um and the background here is that, as I'm sure people have noticed, there is ongoing racial justice protest in this country in response initially to the killings of the murders, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and now Jacob Blake being shot seven times in the back. And uh, police don't uh, behave themselves when people gather in public. And D.C. is unfortunately no exception to that these days. I think we're a little bit better than some jurisdictions in terms of handling First Amendment protected assemblies, but uh, the police have been acting pretty terrible, using excessive force, arresting people, clearing people out of the space that has ironically been named Black Lives Matter. And over the weekend, 41 people were arrested, I believe it was 41, were arrested for, for uh, under rioting charges, possibly felony rioting charges. And of the 41 of the 42 arrests made, 
uh, the USAO did not bring charges against 41 of the people. And Mayor Bowser has gone on this offensive, you know, trying to own Donald Trump, saying, you know, actually our police are arresting protesters. It's Trump's USAO that isn't prosecuting them. So she sent this really awful letter to the USAO's office. And some background here, you know, I'm sure most people are horrified by the prospect of the mayor encouraging Trump's USAO to indict protesters for rioting. But it's actually even worse than you probably think because first a bit of clarity because DC is a colony, not, not a state. The US attorney's office prosecutes both local and federal crimes. So things that would be handled by a state attorney general or state attorney in other jurisdictions are handled by the uh, federally appointed USAO's office. Or or a district attorney or a county attorney. Yes, 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 yes. In states, not in D.C. Yes. Right, right. Yeah, no, the U.S. attorney in D.C. handles the equivalent of those caseloads in in other jurisdictions. The attorney general gets like tax tax evasion, dog leash laws, and Ah. cases. Uh, So the USAO is not prosecuting you for uh, not keeping your dog on a leash. (laughs) Um, But but the other piece of the puzzle here is that the D.C. Riot Act is one of the worst in the country. It predates home rule, meaning it was never passed by the D.C. City Council. It was passed by Congress, and D.C. actually had at some point a or still has a criminal code reform commission, which reviewed, you know, various laws and gave recommendations for how they should amend it. And if you read the final draft report on um, failure to disperse and rioting, failure first draft of report number 21, failure to disperse and rioting, which was written on July 20th, 2018, it's very critical of the current riot act and basically calls for it to be entirely gutted and 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 just replaced with a new law. And you know, it points out that, you know, the current law doesn't have clearly defined terms. It's not internally consistent. It has disproportionate penalties and a low threshold for initiating it it's based on erroneous uh erroneous conceptions of what the criminal code reform commission calls race riots in the 60s that they were sort of premeditated and carried out by by outside agitators so you know even if you're not like a police or prison abolitionist or sympathetic with the break even like a moderate like criminal justice reform perspective the dc riot act is just horrendous it should not be on the books you know even the criminal code reform commission has like substantial reforms that need to be made to it including mentioning the intent and yet the mayor is calling for the usao to prosecute people under this law and then here's here's another fun tidbit is that you know the usao recently did prosecute or attempt to prosecute something like 214 people under this law who were arrested during a anti-fascist, anti-capitalist march during the Trump inauguration, including two journalists, including medics, and brought this really unprecedented prosecution that relied 
on this sort of guilt by association logic where we don't have direct evidence that you engaged in vandalism or property destruction, but because you got arrested by the police in Massey without individualized probable cause when other people may or may not have done vandalism, you know, you're you're guilty of felon of a felony, which carries a serious penalty. And like, you know, in, in the indictment, they failed to distinguish between any of the different defendants. And they brought in, you know, conspiracy liability, and they cited as example of the conspiracy things like people were chanting whose streets are streets. So bringing in First Amendment protected. Uh, who is our like, who is our in this situation? That's a conspiracy. The conspirators, the conspirators, the streets belong to the conspirators. Clearly more than one person. Yes, <laughs> that is the definition of conspiracy. Well, you, 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 you bring up. On Twitter, you brought up the uh, the um, fact that the this is the same U.S. Attorney's Office responsible for the J-20 prosecutions, which uh, ruined a lot of people's lives, even though in the end, the U.S. Attorney didn't get the results for the most part that they wanted in those prosecutions, which would seem to suggest that the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, in their letter to Bowser this time around, has learned from this. It's not so much that you have different people there or people who are more progressive as much as they've already tried this and it didn't work last time. No, I yeah, I mean, they were either acquitted by a DC jury or they had a mistrial or the charges were dismissed. The first, the first group of defendants, like you couldn't try 214 people at once. They were trying them in like groups of six or seven, I believe. And the first group of defendants were all quitted by the jury. And in the second round, there were some acquittals and some uh, mistrials. And then the remaining of the charges were dropped due to a number of, of reasons. First, the prosecution tried to bring in this expert witness who was an expert on, on anarchism, I guess. She had read a book about anarchists and had portrayed <laughs> it Occupy Wall Street, and they wanted to bring her in as an expert, but they also wanted her to testify pseudonymously So her, because they claimed that people in the courtroom were tweeting out the identities of witnesses, which, yes, you know, that's true. I believe it's that- It's a public trial. I believe that may have been a reference to something I tweeted, so that was fun to to find a possible allusion <laughs> to a tweet that I made in the USAO's motion about how this FBI's agent's identity has to be safeguarded from from dangerous people because someone in the courtroom had uh, an individual president in the courtroom had tweeted out the identity of the um, undercover officer, and what had happened was, you know, the undercover officer testify under their real name this was reported in the huffington post and elsewhere his pictures are places but i also just googled his name and his picture popped up on the mpd website because he had gotten an award which i feel like if you have someone undercover in a dangerous situation and the j20 protests were not a dangerous situation he allegedly was you know infiltrating dangerous drug cartels or gangs before that like don't have their picture on the internet that pops up when you google their name like i feel like that is a uh not good security culture and they wouldn't let the expert witness testify ex as on the matters as extensively as they wanted them to and they're like okay this isn't worth our time and also we can't convict anyone without this witness and then the other thing that happened was that they found out that they had not revealed they, their big piece of evidence was undercover footage taken by the extremely reliable project veritas uh which 
you know, during the trial got in trouble for trying to entrap the Washington Post. Um, Project Protest is not reliable at all. And it turned out they had edited the video some and not revealed this fact to to the defendant. So a judge refused to allow them to enter the evidence enter that video into evidence anymore as a Brady violation, at which point they're like, we have to dismiss all the charges because we have, you know, no case. And also they kept losing. So, yeah, I do think the USA learned their lesson. And in their letter to Bowser, they're like, you know, as you know, an indictment requires probable cause, but the MPD failed to provide us with probable cause for indicting these people, which would mean the MPD is out, you know, doing unconstitutional arrest. And Bowser is like, why don't you prosecute these people? Which is just a mind-boggling situation to be in. If I'm not mistaken, some of the, the one of those J20 trials ended uh, with, actually, I, I, I remember this very vividly, so I know for a fact this happened, but one of the jurors uh, told the judge that uh, a juror back in deliberations had told the others that in the bathroom, yes. they had noticed someone wrote Google jury nullification on the wall of the bathroom stall. And I believe uh, it was Ryan Riley of the Huffington Post who tweeted out, and then they did. And then they all talked about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that happened. But it's worth pointing out that like even absent jury nullification, there is no basis to convict any of these people. And that I believe that was the second trial. I'm not sure. And in the first trial, I mean, they acquitted it. And one of the jurors has spoken publicly and was like, you know, we took the charges quite seriously and deliberated on them. You know, um, and I believe one of the jurors testified that they had decided the prosecution's case wasn't didn't have any merit during the prosecutor's opening argument when she mentioned they had no evidence tying any of the people to property destruction. They were like, "Okay, I'm done here. But like the jury, you know, deliberated on like the points of law and like even under, you know, the legal system, which we can criticize how it operates. There was no justification for convicting these people. I don't think there was ever probable cause for an indictment, but a, ju- a judge upheld that. So, like, it's like a technical legal matter. Like, these charges were completely baseless. Well, it's amazing that riot charges have been allowed to remain on the books because, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, for the most part, a riot charge, you can get a riot charge just for being present. Like in a, you can go to a demonstration, and if it turns into a riot, you you can you're, you know, you get arrested for using your First Amendment rights of speech and association, and you just happen to be there. Uh, that depends on the jurisdiction. Uh, as the Criminal Code Reform Commission pointed out, most jurisdictions require some sort of level of intent in order to indict and convict someone for rioting. And and one of their reforms was to require some degree of intent. Uh, As the DC law currently is, a riot in the District of Columbia is a public disturbance involving an assemblage of five or more persons by which tumultuous and violent conduct or the threat thereof creates grave danger of damage or injury to property or persons. Well, in my personal opinion, the uh, only reason uh, we should be reading the Riot Act is uh, to read the Riot Act to the Riot Act. 
Thank you. Chip, uh, we've seen now violent uh, uh, assaults in uh, Kenosha where you had militia members arrive on the scene and, uh, you know, a lunatic cop wannabe far right militia member, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, murdered two people. Um, You're seeing these happen in cities where uh, groups can come in and just openly carry as a show of force. Um, so we haven't really seen that happen in D.C. so much where it's uh, the laws are a lot more strict about that. But it seems like in recent days, the the cops themselves have uh, uh, again ramped up their activities toward uh, protesters who've assembled uh, outside the White House near Lafayette Square. Um, And that hasn't gotten much attention in national media anymore because of the people who are being murdered in these other uh, sites of the uprising, but um, I guess just uh, uh, your reaction to to how the police are operating. Um, I, I mean, I guess I would argue they're operating just in accordance with how Mayor Bowser wants them to operate, given the letter she's writing to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's no question that you know Mayor Bowser bears the responsibility here. I mean, she was you know critical of. Trump and Barr or tear gassing protesters so they could walk across to that church and have a photo op. But she's never acknowledged the role of her own police in suppressing the demonstration. She's never acknowledged the role of her own police in murdering black people, even as she painted Black Lives Matter on outside the White House. You know, she is talking outside both sides of her mouth on, on this issue. And it's it's a problem you see in a lot of jurisdictions where you have Democratic mayors, Democratic city councils. I don't want to call them like left or even liberal. In a lot of cases, they're probably center or center right. But, you know, the Democratic Party is in power and the police are out there killing people and suppressing demonstrators. And the mayor comes out and says, isn't it so terrible what Trump is doing to protesters? And it's like, yes, it is very terrible what Trump is doing to protesters. And I think that the danger of someone like Trump in office is, you know, real. I'm, I'm increasingly disturbed by his rhetoric around the protest and his just sort of complete reliance on sort of demonizing the protesters and really disturbed right-wing conspiracy theories, which legitimates armed vigilantes, legitimates police violence, paves the way for a federal crackdown, just stuff like that. But, but also the local officials who are in charge of these police departments and have been allowing them to get away with this for decades also bear some responsibility here. Quite a bit, actually. Chip Gibbons? Journalist, policy director, you you do it all, Chip, and you've got a podcast out. Still spying. What's the what's the latest Still episode spying. about? Uh, the latest episode is part three of our three part series on the FBI's war on black dissent, uh, specifically the FBI and the movement for Black Lives. So looking at stuff like their use of the Black Identity Extremism Threat Assessment to basically criminalize black dissent very timely there's also going to be some future episodes on how we uncover fbi spying today the role of the fbi in the mccarthy period i I recorded the interview for both of those and it looks like we're going to be doing an fbi at least one episode exploring 
uh, the FBI and the Ku Klux Klan, specifically their Klan informant Gary Rowe, who got to testify before Congress with a white hood over his head, which was in order to obscure his identity. That was not, you know, they didn't think that that was a it's Go- very bizarre. Google that story. image. It's really funny looking. It because he's wearing a burgundy suit too, and it's not even like a clan hood. They like took like a white sheet and cut. I believe someone described it as goggle size holes in it. Yeah. Uh, but looks Gary like he's wearing Rowe, like a toilet, like a toilet sheet cover. It's very odd image, but you know Gary Rowe was involved in beating up the Freedom Riders. There's allegations he was involved in the Birmingham church bombing. He was present when Klan members shot and murdered someone. He claims it was the other Klan members. The other Klan members claim it was him. He was given immunity from prosecution to testify against them. He is, by all accounts, a pathological liar, or was a pathological liar. You know, he he failed polygraphs when asked about his involvement in the Birmingham church bombing. You know, there's a lot of questions about the degree of his participation in violence while he was getting paid by the FBI to inform on the Klan. And there's no question he was involved in violence and the FBI knew it. And we're like, you know, that's, you know, if you don't, if you're not involved in, in this violence, then you're not going to be allowed on the Klan and you can't inform on them. But if your informant's going around killing people or beating them up, then, you know, what's the point of having an informant if you're not going to stop it? Uh, the degree of what the degree to which she was involved in violence, though, is in question, whether or not he just beat up people or whether or not he was actually involved in a murder. And we're we're in the process of arranging some guests to talk about that. It's a very disturbing uh, episode in U.S. history. Yeah, sounds like it. And you can stay up to date on what Chip is up to by following him on Twitter at ChipGibbons89. Chip, let's uh, let's do this again next week. I, if Sam doesn't go back to the beach. <laughs> I can't promise.